0: Inspiration, success stories, expert advice, strategies, new ideas, and amazing conversations. Everything you need to become a great speaker. This is Oscar Santolaya, and welcome to Time to Shine. Hello, and thank you for joining. Today we are going to discuss about the balance of Aristotle appeals and for that we have a very special guest. Let me introduce you Sally Zibney. She is a presentation coach and consultant, an award-winning speaker and a writer whose mission is to create talks that move their audiences and the world. She has more than 15 years of experience coaching speakers and creating impactful experiences that open minds and hearts. Sally is also the host of This Move Me, a podcast and blog about the art of public speaking, interviewing beloved TEDx speakers like Julian Treasure, storytelling experts like Michael Margolis, and brilliant undiscovered talent, sharing insight and inspiration so that our talks can move the world. Hello Sally!
1: Hi! It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: (laughs) It's a pleasure, Sally. Please tell us a little bit more about yourself and your journey to become a speaker and speaking coach.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, as you mentioned, I'm a coach and a consultant and I host a podcast and a blog all about public speaking. And really that started that my love for public speaking started in high school. I was in high school speech and and did really well. Um, I won nationals and original oratory, which was such a thrill. And so it's always been a big, big part of my life. And I kind of continued staying connected with high school speech. I did some coaching and stuff like that. But in college, I really focused my effort and my talent in theater and mm-hmm. fell in love with theater, the process of theater Uh, the collaboration that theater requires. And when I got out of college, I really wanted to bridge these two worlds together, Mm -hmm. sort of the technical aspects of public speaking and the emotional sort of craft aspects of theater and, and bridging these two worlds together. And I worked at an organization for a long time, over a decade, where I really got to cut my teeth as a speaker and a mm-hmm. coach. Um, they do public speaking in schools all throughout the country. And within a few months of being there, I was coaching the other speakers because they they didn't really have any processes in place. They didn't have any content that was sort of consistent across all of us as speakers So I really helped develop that and it was a really amazing place to learn my craft as a coach and also as a speaker because we were out there giving between probably four and eight. Talks a week, each of us, and there were fifteen to twenty speakers, and so that's a lot of talks, and that's a ton, a ton of learning. I got so much out of that experience, and and out of that, really organically came other opportunities for me to coach, um, to create events, to work with um, big, huge companies as they're work, working on their sales pitches and turning that into more of an experience, really bridging. The this world of theater, like the experience of theater with the technical know-how of giving a talk. And so my belief is really a good talk can move the world. And to make it good, we really have to kind of bridge these two worlds a little bit more, which kind of brings me to Aristotle and, and why there was something there that I was really, really interested in. Mm-hmm.
0: So you have a long story with theater and then speaking.
1: Yeah, and yeah.
0: And and, <laughs> and which point you discover Aristotle?
1: Yeah, well, you know, as a theater person, you end up studying Aristotle because he was sort of, you know, considered the grandfather father of theater. Uh, so when I, I did grad school and and as I got my master's degree, I was looking at persuasion. What is it? How do we persuade people? Trying to kind of get into the, the theories behind that. And you can't study that without studying Aristotle because he's the one who sort of came up with this concept of the three appeals, the three ways that we as speakers appeal to our audience. And they are logos, ethos, and pathos. Logos being using your logic. Ethos being being using your ethics or your character, who you are, and pathos being using emotion. And so that that idea really intrigued me in grad school because at the time I was studying that was during the presidential election of George W. Bush and Al Gore. And they're such stark uh Uh, examples of people who did not have a lot of balance in their appeals, right? So we've got, uh, on the one hand, George Bush, who was a pro at the, the emotional appeal, right? But it sort of came at the sacrifice of other things. And then we had, on the other hand, Al Gore, who was all logic and completely lacking in any emotive appeal, or any sense of self, I still don't know who he is, um, and I think it cost him the election. So it was a it was a really wonderful uh, time for me to be looking at what that means and how we are moved as people. How do we, you know, why were people moved by George W. Bush and why weren't they moved by Al Gore? And I, what became clear to me was that. I think we undervalue the emotional appeal, especially when we want to be taken seriously or we, um, you know, we're, we're focused on, on the content. Um, but I think um, the emotional appeal, pathos, is really the only thing that persuades people. And what happens is what and what I where I ended up going in my 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 thesis work was that the emotional appeal is really essential, but it also needs to be balanced um, mm-hmm. by logic and ethos.
0: Yes, I think, you and know so- we've
1: all seen the pathos out of control, mm-hmm. and it's manipulative. Yes, and, you know it's out there <laughs> for sure.
0: In this uh, excellent example you gave us about these two presidential mm-hmm. candidates, you didn't yeah. mention the it, um, ethos. Ethos,
1: right? yeah. Well, an ethos is, I think, uh, one of one of the more challenging concepts because, really, it's short for ethics. And ethics can re- like be in your own internal compass, your character, your sense of self, your beliefs. What's your right and wrong? Sort sort of like who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, somebody who has a really strong sense of who they are really stand grounded in their their own personal ethics, their own personal character, if it, if, if you know what I mean. And I think um, that that's. It's much easier to sort of point out the logic and the pathos, mm-hmm. and it's way it's more difficult to to nail and sort of pinpoint somebody's ethos, as it were. So, um, so in
0: this case, they were more or less equal in ethos.
1: Well, hmm, that's a good question. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't call them equal on that. I think I, George Bush was clearer about his ethos, and I think we We knew if 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 I were to take like Aristotle's sort of true sense of that, I think we didn't know enough about Al Gore. he didn't mm. show us who he really is, and I mm. think that's, you know ethos is it really has a ton to do with logic and a ton to do with pathos. they're very very connected mm. um and so i think I think uh. Al Gore missed the boat on that. Hmm. And I think it cost him the election for sure.
0: Yeah, quite interesting, this this example. Mm-hmm. And you start also saying that you have been doing research about the, the balance, no? how, this, how to have the balance of these uh, Aristotle appeals. What is that? What is yeah. the balance?
1: Well, I think the balance, what it comes down to is a sense of authenticity and that's a, that's a big word and people like to try and define it. In my mind, authenticity is somebody who has really um, brought all those aspects together, including pathos. And they, they really stand strongly in all of those aspects. So, you know, Ted talks, I think are a really great example of, uh, because, well, let me just say this. When I first started studying this, I felt like I didn't see balance. Uh, and I feel like I see it way more now than I ever did then. And that was like back in the early 2000s. It was a long time ago. Um, and there. since then, these TED events have developed and these TED-like events where people want this sense of, um, they want a sense of the emotional. they want story. We're talking about story now way more than we ever were back then. Mm. And so it's really exciting as a coach because I feel like I I was kind of standing by myself in the world saying, hey, I don't care about all this information. What does it mean? Why should I care? What's the emotional harm? Um, and what's your story? Who are you? We, we, nobody was talking about that then, or at least not nearly as much as they are now. And so now we see all these amazing things where these events like TED events and um you know, I can name a bunch locally here in the Twin Cities that are happening. I, I could keep myself busy two or three times a week going to see um, events where they're mm-hmm. having speakers stand up and share who they are, share their experience, share their expertise. And and those three things coming together are a really beautiful, wonderful thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And how often you see this this balance in speakers? Do you have some examples where you can see uh, the balance?
1: Yeah, well, I, I mentioned TED talks, mm-hmm. and our favorite, all of your and my favorite TED talks, I think show that balance. So, like, you know, everybody's favorite, Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. To me, she's an an amazing example of she's researched, she knows her stuff, so she's got kind of the logic, but she's so she grounds all that knowledge in her story. Which to me is the ethics, and then her pathos is is really making clear what that means for us, what's at stake. She's so good at drawing that out. Um, it's emotionally engaging. It's grounded in her story, and it's smart, and that's a powerful combination. And it's it's um, you know, there's too many TED talks out there that yeah, are so many. <laughs> yeah, and there's it's impossible to keep up. But everyone that I've liked, so another example, Ben Zander. He, have you seen his talk?
0: No, yet I hear about it. Yes, but
1: okay. So Benjamin Zander is absolutely one of my favorites, and I got to see him speak live a few weeks ago, um, and I'm hoping to have him on my show. Hmm. He's fantastic, just an incredible human being, and he brings all of that to stage. So it was. I felt like I saw his character. I saw his ethics up there. It was so clear. And he's also researched, but man, he leans into his emotions and he is, he comes alive up there. It's so powerful. And so, you know, I don't think it needs to be like a perfect balance where I Mm -hmm. want you to make sure you've got the perfect amount of each thing, but We've all experienced what it's like when somebody's pathos is goes unchecked, right? Then that's the manipulative motivational speaker that's just mm-hmm. bluster, you know, and or the politician that's just like, mm-hmm. you know, talking points, but we don't know who he or she is. Um, and so when you, when you see somebody like a Ben Zander or a Brene Brown and you, you know that it's grounded in something real, but it's emotionally compelling, and they share who they are. It's a really powerful thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, e- excellent. And now you that you put more in, into this uh, perspective the ethos. Now, normally people talk more about the pathos, right? But you uh-huh. are, yeah, the way you are explaining make me understand more. The, also, how you can use ethos. But you have some more um, uh, strategies or piece of advice how to make this balance in our own talk speeches?
1: Yeah. So I've got a few things that I think might be helpful to think about. First, I think, and this is not news to anybody, this is certainly not, um, you know, novel in any way, but to focus on story Mm -hmm. to, even if you're giving a sales pitch and you're standing in front of your peers, you can ground what you're saying in story because story really allows you a pathway to pathos and ethos. And Mm -hmm. it sort of opens that door Uh, the sort of opens your heart, opens your mind in ways it breaks down those walls so that when you come in with your stats and your evidence and your, um, all of the information that you want to share, they'll be more open to it. So I story is so, so essential. There's a lot of brain research about, about why it does exactly what I just said, that it, it, it opens up people's willingness to hear. So that's really, really important. The other thing Mm -hmm. I think is that that's just sort of a good check for yourself as a speaker, as you're developing your content, are you personalizing it? And you'll know if it's just a little bit scary. (laughs) So as you're thinking about Uh, what you're going to share and what you're going to say, are you taking a personal risk in some way? Um, It doesn't have to be super scary. Like, you know, I I don't think when people talk about vulnerability and authenticity, I don't Mm -hmm. think it has to go as far as, you know, bearing your soul. But (laughs) I think what they are talking about is taking a personal risk and sharing enough about yourself that it makes your heart be a little bit faster. Think, okay, should I do this? A little bit scary is, is probably Mm -hmm. right where you should be. And if you're not there yet, then keep digging because you haven't found Mm -hmm. sort of the compelling thing. And then lastly, uh, I spend a lot of time talking about and, and helping my speakers think about the creative process because bringing all of these ideas in line together takes time. And are you giving yourself the time to go through a creative process? Uh, Liz Gilbert, I just heard an interview with her and I'm a huge fan of hers. She talked about preparing for this huge talk on Oprah. It took her months to prep for this talk. And I don't think that's out of the realm of of normal in any way shape or form it takes a lot of time to prepare and there's a four-step process that um, I like to share with my speakers in terms of really what it takes to put something up on its feet and this is not my process I've borrowed it from lots of people as they talk about creativity in that process the first is preparation that's Anything that you're inputting, that you're taking in, your knowledge, the inspiration, your research, um, you know, the anything that sort of like gets your brain kind of tingling like, oh, that's kind of cool. And the second piece is incubation. And that's the part of the process where all of that input soaks in together. And incubation time is time away from your project. It's sleeping. It's taking a walk, it's uh, in the shower, it's (laughs) a time where your brain is not specifically focused on your talk, but it's still doing all of the work of processing Mm -hmm. all of that information. And then it comes to the illumination phase. And that's the aha moment where all of those pieces, your brain's been doing all this work. It syncs these things together and it goes, you know what you should do? And it's that moment where you're like, Oh yeah, that would be great. Okay. And you capture that aha moment and then you're ready to share it, which is the last phase called verification. And that's going out and doing it and getting feedback. And then of course the process begins again, you get feedback, you verify it and you come back and you go back to preparing incubation, illumination, verification. And if you want to go through the process where you're personalizing your content, where you're developing a story and you're finding pathways to pathos and ethos along with all of the information that you want to share, then you've got to give yourself a lot of time to go through that process.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree that uh, it's the best when you really take time because Mm -hmm. these moments don't come uh, if you want to do everything in just like a weekend. But one question I have uh, about this is in yeah. this incubation process, mm-hmm. this moment of incubation, what mm-hmm. do you have to do to, to make sure that things are flowing? What happens if you are weeks and nothing happens? How would you do? What do you have to do daily or almost daily? I would or, go, hmm?
1: Yeah, if you're feeling like the illumination isn't coming, then I would go mm-hmm. back to preparation and that, just find interesting input mm-hmm. for yourself a new podcast to listen to, new music, a book, mm. um, you know, a documentary is stuff that's going to feed your brain. Um, and, and then if, see, the, I think incubation is the phase that always gets short circuited, at least it does in my <laughs> life, <laughs> because it means stepping away. And letting things sink in. And that requires space in your life to just sit on the front porch or, um, you know, sit and have a cup of tea with someone and a conversation with somebody. And, and so if you're not getting your aha moment, you're probably not giving yourself enough incubation time. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like you're giving yourself enough incubation time, but nothing's coming, then I would go back and seek out more conversations with, with peers and different input in the preparation phase. So keep kind of feeding that process and trust it. Because when you feed the process and you, and you trust and you kind of sit in it, it happens, it comes, but you, you just can't control exactly when, which is the tough part.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So your strategies were three, right? S- s- storytelling, taking yeah. risks, and having the creative process. Yeah. Okay. Well, excellent. And I think you you already mentioned that uh, these appeals of Aristotle are I don't know how how many years ago we are talking about Aristotle, but all these principles are still very very active, very relevant. Today, right? This theory hasn't stopped being relevant.
1: Yeah, and especially you know, if you take kind of the the core of what he's saying, you don't get too lost in the specifics of his words because those are really grounded in in his time and his culture, and it's a lot about men. Um, so there's there's some stuff that doesn't apply to now, but if you sort of take the the very tippy top of his ideas, which are uh, you know logic ethos pathos emotion if you take kind of those ideas they give you a really nice map um, a really great way for us to just check ourselves are we are we including enough ingredients in this you know so and really and and my push is always really are we sharing enough of who we are? Mm.
0: Yeah, this is a great point. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very often is this a, this is overlooked, definitely.
1: Yeah. Oh, good.
0: Sally, could you now share with us your favorite quotation?
1: Oh, of course. I have a quote that I have kind of stuck with me from back in my grad school days. And it's a Goethe quote. And I'm sure everyone has heard it but I I will repeat it because it's worth repeating. Whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. And I love that quote because I think boldness is a necessary trait for a good speaker. You've got to be bold enough to stand up, share your story, to take a personal risk Mm-hmm. to get over any of the fears that we have. And I, so I, I have so much love and admiration and respect for people who are willing to do that. And it's, it's what's kind of propelled me forward in my work as a consultant and as a podcast host. It's like, we, we need to be bold and, and that's where the magic is. That boldness pulls people in and without it, we, c- we aren't creative people we can't share who we are and, and all the amazing things that we're doing so Goethe I think got it exactly right
0: couldn't agree more and thanks for this very bold quotation
1: <laughs> sure
0: <laughs> selling now could you recommend us one book that has been particularly inspiring or influential to you
1: yes Right now I've already mentioned this person this author once in our conversation and that's Elizabeth Gilbert and her newest book is called Big Magic and for anybody who is trying to create something it is an absolute must read she talks about a lot of the some of the themes that I've talked about like taking risks and mm-hmm. and that creativity requires boldness from us and and her TED talk if you've seen it is beautiful one of my all-time favorites it's amazing and she talks about how creativity if we you know we have to figure out our relationship with creativity as creative people and it can be fraught with all kinds of different things especially if you've had some success and how do you follow that up? Or if you're struggling to make room in your life to create the kinds of things that you want to create. And she really breaks down, how do I do this? What gets in the way? Mm -hmm. And she shares a lot of her own stories. It's just, it's a really amazing book and it's, it's like by my bedside and I, you know, I've got tons of things highlighted in it. I just think it's a Mm -hmm. fantastic book. So I cannot recommend it enough. Big Magic, Elizabeth Gilbert.
0: Big Magic, a book for creativity. Yeah.
1: Yes. It's amazing. Really, really is.
0: Sally, now I would like to ask you you have done us already strategic uh, ways to improve our balance in the Aristotle appeals, but could you f- finally tell us something practical, one exercise that we can add to our habits, to our routines? A routine yeah. to shine.
1: Well, and this sort of reflects the preparation phase of creativity, but I think as speakers, one thing that we've got to be in touch with on a daily, if not weekly basis is something that moves us that inspires us, and that's sort of my language, mm-hmm. like moving um moving people, like if we wanna move people, we've got to be moved ourselves, and mm-hmm. so I think we've got to stay inspired. Um, And, you know, I, I think, you know, this Oscar, but on my podcast, I do a, this moved me moment and share them on Facebook. And, and I don't just do it because I like to feel, which is true. I do like to feel, I think it's like this amazing, amazing thing about being a human, but for a, this moved me moment, like We have, as speakers, have got to stay connected to what moves us. So whatever it is that fuels your inspiration, you've got to make room, time, and space for that. That's that preparation and incubation. Are you feeding yourself Mm -hmm. that? And then are you taking time and space to let it all sink in? So stay inspired. That is my practical thing for you, Mm -hmm. daily or weekly.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, as so you say, make room for that. Yeah, daily, or weekly um, feed with whatever inspired you the most.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> what do you What do you do to stay inspired and connected, like to what's moving you?
0: Well, I listen to podcasts, one thing. But I listen a lot yeah. to music. Also, I listen to music. Mm, yeah, from time to time, going to also museums.
1: Oh, cool. That's great. What's your favorite museum?
0: Mm, I have one very close to my house. It's called Design Museum. So it's the Museum of Design. Nice. Yeah, but I would say contemporary art is the ones that attract me the most.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Podcasts are an unbelievable source of inspiration, aren't they? And there's so many. You can find one about anything and... Mm -hmm. totally
0: cool almost all possible topics you can imagine
1: yes (laughs) i know we're talking from across the world how cool is this i love it
0: (laughs) very very cool (laughs) thank you very much sally for this fantastic interview with you
1: of course i'm so happy you asked
0: no very happy that uh, you are here with with us bringing all your ideas and your enthusiasm, bringing us inspiration for, as you said, for moving ourselves and moving, moving others. Could you finally tell us how we can follow you, learn more about you?
1: Sure, absolutely. Well, you can find my show, my podcast, this Moved me on, uh, our website, thismovedme.com, or you can find it on iTunes or any other podcast player that you have. Uh, And we also have a pretty active Facebook page where people share what is moving them. And I'd love for people to join in there as well. So, and you can just type thismovedme in Facebook and you'll find me.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much, Sally. It has been a pleasure talking with you and I wish you all the best.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
0: Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Did you like it? Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or visit us at timetoshinepodcast.com. Until next time.